I remember when each of our kids began uh, to walk, I didn't get to see personally Graceland begin to walk, but it was funny, even for her, when we, we brought her home, my wife and I, we were talking about this last night, and we brought her home, and so when we first got to our house, it was, a, it was late at night, but I think it was the next day or something like that. It was so funny, when we go outside our garage, you know how your driveway typically has like the spacers, whatever, so they do a little section, and so it has like these these intentional cracks, basically, and so she would, when she would walk up to one of those really slowly, she would like, I don't know if she would get scared or something, but she would like lower herself down, and she would like step over, like, like on all fours, and kind of like carefully go over these cracks. Uh, when Colson, Colson started walking, I think he was like eight, nine, like nine months or something, he went straight to running, uh, and so I, rem- and, it, and it's crazy, I remember Levi too, uh, and when Levi started to walk, I mean, he was, he was funny. He's a little top-heavy uh, at the time as well. And so, but it was funny watching them because as a parent, as a dad at least, you're like, this is awesome, right? Like, this is, this is like prime time to have fun. Like, holding a baby, not necessarily my thing. Throwing a ball with a baby or chasing them around, it sounds like so much fun. Let's play some hide-and-go-seek or something. Uh, not hold in a nursery. Like, that's, that's not necessarily in my forte or never has been. Um, but Levi was, was walking, and so uh, if you're a parent, especially a mom, you're like, you're excited at first. You're like, the thought of it's cool, because, you know, you'll find yourself trying to help them walk. You're like, have them stand in front of a walker, those kind of things. You'll hold their hands and laugh and giggle, but then quickly, as a mom realizes, all of a sudden, there's this wide world that they want to go chase after, and all of a sudden, like, everything in your house becomes like a, a heat-seeking missile for their head. It's crazy, like all of a sudden table heights are perfect for just whacking their head. Uh, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Like I was thinking about this the other day. It's like Landon, because I remember seeing uh, um, um, Penny last week uh, with Will and Amelia, and, uh, and thinking about like Landon, like, I mean, he looks like flawless. Like there's no, there's no like marks all over him yet. But then Penny, her knees were all just scraped up and everything. It's because all of a sudden they start walking. There's all these, these kind of dangers. Well, of course, good parenting, you're going to try to help out. You're going to watch out, you know, pay attention to those things. Well, one day we were um, in the mountains with my family uh, at a, a mountain house that was someone else on my, bro- or my brother's in-law side. Um, that they had this mountain house. And so we were there. And of course, I guess supposedly I was on duty as Amanda was reminding me last night that she wasn't on duty at the time. She wasn't in the room. It was like my job, I guess. Well, somehow Levi had escaped. <clears throat> and so we were in this, this very tall cabin and it had this very large um, outdoor wooden stairs. They had a gate supposedly, so I thought it was fine. Uh, and so he's running around and all of a sudden we hear this just crash and like, like this, we run outside, and I'm not sure, like, I mean, he was kind of beat up, he went down all those steps, um, but I think he actually maybe rode the gate down, I'm not sure if he like surfed it all the way down, surprisingly, because I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have looked a lot worse, because it was like, I don't know how many, Amanda, it was a lot of steps, all these wooden, just wooden deck steps, and, uh, but if you think about when a kid begins, when a child begins to walk, it's exciting, but also as a parent, you're like, all right, like there, you get, you're, you're starting to be more aware of the dangers around. You notice the things that can potentially be a harm to your child or could be a, a, a detriment to them, and so you pay attention to those things. And see, in the reality of what we see in Scripture is Scripture over and over again is described as the Christian life is described as walking, as a walk with Christ or going uh, in a, on a spiritual, your spiritual journey, this walk of life. 
Um, I love how in 3 John, so 3 John's just one chapter, so that's why we say 3 John 4, meaning verse 4. But in 3 John 4, he says this, John did, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And so Paul, he wants to make sure the Colossian church is taking the necessary steps in their walk with Christ. I mean, he's commended them. In chapter 1, he's commended them for their, their walk with Christ. He's commended them on how they are, like, they're, they're doing some great things. They're, they've, they're already have established their faith. And he's like, all right, but well, you have this long life to live. How are you going to live it? How are you going to go about your walk of faith? And so here in chapter 2, the beginning here, we look at verse 6 here. We're going to read it in just a second. Is really the, the, the linchpin, it's the key to the whole book is in this little section right here. Paul's going to address one of the, the, the struggles, one of the, the problems that are arised it for this Colossian church. To remind you, Paul, Paul basically is, is this person, to give you a short synopsis of who Paul is, Paul is this person who was a, a very religious person. Austin at the Bible study mentioned a little bit more about him in detail on Thursday, but Paul is this this person who was a passionate Jew, like Jew who, who loved God but didn't understand who Jesus was. But then when he realized who Jesus was, when Jesus revealed himself to him, he converted to be follow, a follower of Jesus, and then he went on mission to let the whole world know. And so he wrote these letters to churches. And here he writes this letter to Colossians, to the, to the church in Colossae, a church he never visited. But he, was, he had heard some great things about him, and he wants to encourage them and deal with a couple issues. So look at this with me. So what, we wanna, what I want to do this morning, just briefly, is, is really talk about three steps to take in your walk with Christ that we see that Paul outlines here in chapter number 2, verse 6 through 15. Let's look at that first section, starting in verse 6. Notice what he says here. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith in the faith just as you were taught i mean think just just pause for a second for this so looking at our first point is this and so if we're saying what is the the steps that i need to be taken as a follower of christ before we even get to really the first step so i guess i could have had four steps instead of three but i wanted to kind of tie this one in before we get to that first step is this notice what he said in, right at the beginning of verse six therefore as you received christ jesus the lord so obviously first, it starts with receiving the Lord. And so here he's already heard this. He already knows this. They have received the Lord, but, uh, Christ Jesus. But notice this, what he says. They've received him as Lord. Now I get, I get for us, we've, maybe for many of us, we've heard that phrase, Jesus is Lord, right? Like we've heard the phrase that Jesus is Lord. Maybe even you've, you've talked to God and you call him my Lord and Savior. You say that. But think for, for, for instance, when we read scripture, when we study scripture, I want to make sure you understand this. Read it, and it's, you have to, and this takes, this takes work. It takes a little study. Maybe it'll help with a Bible study, a, a study Bible, to help you get an understanding of who it's written to, all those things. It's a little bit difficult, but when you read Scripture, make sure you pay attention to the context that it was written to. Pay attention to, first, understand it in its context that it, when it was originally written to this audience. You don't, don't it's, it, we have to be really careful when we're trying to apply Scripture by taking it straight to here, to today. 
contemporary 2,000 years later and then just take it straight to applying it to us. We need to study it in its context first, and then we can learn the principles that can be taught to us today. Well, think about this. Just thinking about the context for this. I mean, think about who's in charge? What, what empire is reigning during this time? It's the Roman Empire. I mean, think about this Roman Empire. Who is the Lord in, under the Roman Empire? It's Caesar, right? Caesar is Lord. And so for these Christians, when he's saying, as you receive Jesus as Lord, this became almost this, this, not a battle cry, but it became a strong statement for followers of Christ to say, Jesus is Lord or my Lord. It was a, a, a huge deal. And he's saying, you guys have received him in that way. But what does that mean to even receive Jesus as Lord? Well, think about it. It, it. it literally means to bow the knee, right? Like you are under his rulership. You're being obedient to his demands, his calling, his rules, his reign. And so you submit to that. I mean, think about this. You, this is what I was thinking about this last night as well is, you know, with the whole Ukraine crisis. I mean, I, I read articles. I like to, to read up on those kind of things and just kind of follow along to just kind of stay aware uh, of current events and those kind of things. But something that came to me as I've been paying attention to the Ukraine, uh, the invasion or war uh, that Russia has invaded in, Korea, in, in Ukraine, it made, me, it, I, it made me kind of forget about Afghanistan. I mean, you remember not too long ago, I mean, just a, just a few months ago, really, not even, within the past year, the U.S. had pulled out. If you remember when we pulled out of Afghanistan, um, and w quickly, I mean, within a day, they thought this is what was going to happen to Ukraine, is the Russians are going to come in, the Ukrainians are going to just lay down their arms, and they're going to allow them to take them over, and that's not been the case. They fought. Well, in uh, Afghanistan, they did. Their government all fled, and people laid down their arms, and then Taliban, in less than a few hours, had already taken back control of Afghanistan. But see, during that time, there's a lot of people who say there's about ten to 15,000 Christians in Afghanistan. That's what, we, that's what some statistics and different ones say. Well, during this time when, when they were free, um, they, when they started having followers of Jesus, people started following Jesus and uh, putting their faith in Christ, some of the church said, you know what we're going to do? Because they have these ID cards, and they were like, okay, well, we're, they felt compelled that they needed to put that they were a, a Christian on their card. And so they were basically saying, like, he is my Lord, and we're going to identify with him, and we're going to state that and make that public. And so several did. And here's the thing, so that when the Taliban came in, exactly, what are they doing? They're going to the records, and they're looking for these Christians, and that's the ones they're hunting down, and they're trying to remove, and they're already stating. I read an article just that came out six days ago talking about the, uh, the Afghanistan church and how, I mean, it's, I mean, it's very much... Very, I mean, it's the second, the second most uh, persecuted area, a, a nation to live in with, for Christianity, uh, behind only North Korea. And pretty, pretty remarkable to think, though, but these people, they, they knew that if I say that G Jesus is my Lord, that God is the one that I follow, not a, not a president, not a king, not that you don't submit, I mean, we see that in Scripture, too, that you submit to rulers in, in authority, but ultimately your main ruler, the, the highest authority is God. And here, Paul is saying, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, again, that's, don't miss just those two little extra words, the Lord, and how important that was for the Colossian church. And then here's these steps. So he's like, you've received him as Christ Jesus is Lord, and he's thankful for that. Now he talks about the three steps that we're going to look at this morning. Um, and first one is this. If you were, the first step that if we're going to take 
in our walk with Christ should be this, is to develop your relationship with Jesus. Develop your relationship with Jesus. I want you to see, though, how Paul writes this, this little section. Such a unique section of Scripture. Look at it again. He says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I mean, notice this first starts with receiving Christ, yes, as Lord, but this, this is so important, but Paul, and Paul is thankful that they've done this, but no, notice what he's saying here. I mean, he's saying that you're to be, first he says this, rooted. I mean, w- rooted is such a great term because in Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, uh, actually, I want you to turn there. Jer- turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. I want to read this little section to you. This is important, you know, for me, uh, I've, I've quickly uh, become infatuated with my yard lately, and so I found this Facebook group. I can already see William nodding his head at me in, like, disappointment, um, because he got to hear it for, like, I'm like, I sat at a table with accountants the other day, um, and they were talking accounting and all this stuff, and I'm like, all right, so can I tell you about this Atlanta Bermuda Dominators Facebook page? It's amazing. Um, and so I'm like showing them pictures and all this stuff, and I've become like infatuated. I'm like starting to cut my yard every like three days and all this stuff. And so I've quickly paid attention to when it rains and when it doesn't rain. And I'm like, okay, we've got to do something about this rain, but I'm not in control of it, of course. And so I was super grateful. I almost did a little rain dance yesterday. I went on my porch and actually videoed the rain. I'm becoming that guy. I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, but this idea about those roots, because I'm like, I'm reading these things, and I'm like, man, I've got these bear patches in the back. Like, I mean, I'm not going to post a picture on this page. They're like, they will eat you alive if you do that. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe, in, a few, maybe in a few years I'll, I'll be up to their standard or something. But this idea about being rooted is so, is so important because if you've ever had to deal with plants and trying to get that, you're trying to build deeper, stronger roots. Um, when I was in, uh, in college, right before, a few months before I met Amanda, um, I went down early with uh, some of the leadership at, our, at Clearwater at the time, and uh, we went and helped, because that was the year that there was like four hurricanes that hit um, uh, um, uh, through Florida, and that's actually through one of those hurricanes is how I met Amanda and spent more time with her, and we started to develop our relationship, but uh, we went down to the Punta Gorda area where like a hurricane had gone through like a buzzsaw through that area. It went right through the state super fast, almost like a tornado, and then it was crazy. You go down, driving down 75 south towards Naples and Fort Myers, and on your way down there, you would all of a sudden see every single telephone pole. All these telephone poles, all these light poles, the massive ones on the highway are just gone in this section. You could just literally see how it had gone through, and you would go, and you'd see, I mean, like, I got to witness literally a palm tree sitting sideways through a trailer, I mean, like, it had been impaled, it had impaled a trailer. And we go to this church and help out with the damage that was done there. But it was interesting to see how some of these buildings would be, I mean, completely demolished, and yet there would be this huge, massive tree still standing somehow. And you're like, how is that tree standing? I mean, again, it goes to its roots, its strength. And notice what, what Jeremiah 17, 8 says, says here. Um, he says this, he is talking about the one who trusts in the Lord, verse 7. Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Here is what he's like. Look at what he says, verse 8. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. 
This is what I'm hoping for, right? I'm like, I need, I need some, some green grass. It's looking lush, right? Like, I need, it needs, but it, what does it need? It needs sustenance. It needs water. It needs good, strong roots to endure what he's going to say here. He says this, and does not fear. Notice what he says. This person, this, as he's describing as a tree, he says, does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I mean, he's saying this, this person whose trust is in God, whose relationship is with God, it endures drought, seasons of drought. Why? Because it's been established, it's been rooted in Christ. This is what we're going to see back in our Colossians passions. Over and over again, we're going to see this phrase, in him or in Christ. I mean, it, it, it looks like if you start and reading it and start circling, I'll point them out in a second. Over and over again, Paul is trying to encourage the church to be in Christ. And here he's saying, if you're going to develop your relationship, it needs to be rooted. It's, again, I was terrible at grammar uh, in, in high school and all those things. Like, English class was not my favorite thing. British literature in college was like a disaster. Um, it was right after lunch. We were t- I was talking with somebody the other day. I'm like, it was the worst time. I was like, every time we had a baseball game, it's like, praise the Lord. I don't have to go to British lit. Um, but now it's like literature ends up being a lot of what I do as a, as a study scripture. But, but here, this rooted phrase in your Bibles is in the perfect tense. And you're like, well, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means this. It's like a continuing result of an action in the past. So you're rooted, and not in you're the one rooted. You're, you're establishing yourself. It's an action by something that was accomplished, though, in the past. Here, what he's saying is what Christ has done Root yourself into that. Build yourself into it. That's why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. He's saying, be rooted. Not only does he say to be rooted, he says, be built up. So he's, he, Paul does this all the time. He plays on his words and he like mixes his analogies all the time. It's kind of funny. You're like, all right, so root, be built. <laughs> and so which one is it? It's kind of both was what he's saying. So built up again in the present tense here as well. What he's meaning here is like it's an you're under construction. I mean, think about this. As a follower of Jesus, you're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to areas where there's going to be seasons of, of difficulty and struggle. But what is it? You're being built up. Again, it's that idea of it's the perfect tense. You're, you're, it's continuing. It's an action. You're being built up. You're under construction. You're becoming more like him. And then here, the other one he says is established in the faith. Again, this is in the present tense as well, with the perfect tense, so establishing ourselves. So what is he getting at? What's his point here? I believe his point here with these three verses, each of them in this passive voice, he's saying this, meaning you and I can't manufacture these things. We don't root ourselves. We don't build ourselves up. We don't establish ourselves. Those all happen in Christ, Those all happen. You can try, but you won't be fully established. You won't be built up. This all happens through God's direct involvement in your life. And see, the church in Colossae hasn't rooted themselves, built themselves up, or established themselves. Ultimately, God has done that work. God does that work. We continue in that work, but again, it comes as we're connected to Him, as we're in Christ, and as we follow the Spirit's leading in our lives. You see, the church was beginning this process, and Paul is praying for this, and he's saying, man, be established, be rooted, and built up in him. But notice this next phrase, he says, abounding in thanksgiving. Um, 
When I think of my parents, and, and as for those of you that can remember back to when you were a kid or when you were a teenager, I'm pretty confident I was not very thankful for my parents <laughs> when I was young. I mean, like, even though they literally early on, it's like they literally keep you alive. Like, they actually keep you alive. They keep you from killing yourself or, or falling off a cliff or running, like I was saying earlier. Like, I mean, I was one of those that everything was a heat-seeking missile for me. I guess I was the heat-seeking missile. I don't know, and I would just run into things. And then boom, before you know it, my head's exploded, and I'm, like, bleeding everywhere. And my dad thinks I'm just faking it. I don't know why he would think I was faking it. I'm, I'm wondering if that must have meant I was faking it sometimes. I'm not sure. But anyways, blood's all over my face. My dad runs me to the hospital, you know, and gets all these stitches in my head and all these kind of things. And I wasn't like, thank you so much, Dad. Thank you for taking care of me. Like, I didn't have that heart. I was like, like I, I constantly felt like I was at war with my parents, right? It's like constantly I felt like they're keeping me from the things that I want to do and the way I want to live my life. And so I didn't look at my parents in that way. But as you get older, what happens, Right? You look back with such gratitude. I mean, maybe not. Like, some of you might have experienced a difficult home, and you're like, I'm not grateful at all. And so I totally understand that. But for a lot of us, we've experienced a loving and caring home. And for me, I experienced that, and I was not very thankful at the time. But as I look back, I'm like, man, my parents sacrificed so much for me, for my education, to have me in a Christian school, for instance, to help me with college, to where I, don't ha I didn't have student debt after college. I mean, I was so blessed. And my parents, I mean, my dad was a mechanic, and my mom was a, a bookkeeper for our, our Christian school. And she did that just so I could go to the Christian school for free. And then, I mean, like, my, my, my parents had a lot of things, but I look back and I'm like, man, how did they ever get me through, help me get through college, Christian college, private college, that was a very expensive and I look back with such gratitude. Why? Because I have spent time with them, and I look back and remember. And here's what Paul's saying. Is this is the part that the Christian does do, but it flows from the three. As you've been established, as you've been built up, as God is working you and making you new, and he's changing you and becoming you and, and helping you form you into his image, what it should lead to is a heart of gratitude. But man, how hard is it sometimes? Man, to, how is it so, why is it so often that we look at God with frustration? Like, God, why are you fill in the blank? Why have you not let me have this? Or why did you take away this? Or why do I not have, you, you can fill in the blank for yourself. And we look at him with such, almost that idea of greed and expectation that we should have and ex expect what we should deserve and yet here, the Christian is to be, as Paul is saying, they're established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding. It's overflowing with gratitude. And Paul's saying this first step, this step, as you're being um, made new, made more into his image, be built up, but you're to walk in him. And then our second uh, point this, this, uh, this morning is this. So the sec second step is this, resist teachings that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus. And this happens as you do the first step. As you develop your relationship with the Lord, your ability to resist teachings that are contrary to the gospel will be enhanced. I tell you, this is so important. I mean, I... I I sent a text to Austin kind of late last night because I got lost, and I told Amanda this as well. Is, um, I got lost in this Twitter feed. I, you, know, you know, I have a problem. I have a few problems. One of them is Twitter. 
uh, I look at it too much, and um, I was, there's this guy, um, this pastor in Texas, leave him nameless, you can ask me later if you want, but um, this pastor in Texas, not Joel Osteen if you're wondering, um, but uh, one name I will say, but um, I was looking on his Twitter feed, and because I'd, I'd heard some things about him, and so I looked, and it was amazing to me to think this guy grew up, this conservative Baptist church, ended up in a larger Baptist church, and then now is a pastor of, of a of growing and large church in, in Texas. And as I was looking, I just started scanning through his feed, and it was just so incredibly sad to think where his doctrine and theology had gone. Um, I mean, very much, very uh, inclusive on the LGBTQ+, plus, uh, and, and basically affirming their, as being a follower of Jesus, and other, like, other, I mean, but just like as they, not just like, okay, someone who's wrestling with this and struggling or whatever, but someone who is, who is living in that, and they're like, it's totally okay, affirming their living in, as the Bible describes it as sin, and so, but he was taking cri- scripture, and it was interesting to watch his, his arguments and things like that, and he was saying, oh, it's just all about interpretation, and so you interpret it one way, and I interpret it another way, or or like it was interpreted this way in Paul's day, but it's interpreted differently today. And it was like he was taking a, a, you could see the value on scripture was so minimized. And it was just, it was just solely focused on like Christ. Like, all right, it's all about like being Christ-like. And it's easy to take Christ and just be like, let me mold to his compassionate heart. Or his willingness to tell to the adulterous woman to, to, to not cast a stone, but, th- but to leave out the part, but go and sin no more as he tells her to go away. Like he doesn't bring condemnation on her, but he calls her to repent, to turn from her sin. And it, it was just over and over again, pro-life, same thing. I mean, it was like everything that culture was saying today, he was affirming with today. It's like as if the doctrine is shifting as culture shifts. And that is exactly what we will face as a church. This is what you will face as a follower of Jesus. Culture is going to push. And this is what was happening. The culture of the day for Paul was the Jewish culture, the strong Jewish culture. Look at verse verse 8 through 10. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, the, the, the warnings that Paul is saying, is, this, is the first thing, this is the first imperative that he gives us in this book where he's warning them against this and saying, don't do this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, not according to Christ. You see, we're to, as I was saying in point number two, resist teachings that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that are contrary to that. When you read Scripture, Scripture is very abundantly clear on how, what the gospel is. And we're going to look at the gospel here in just a second. One of my favorite descriptions of the gospel starts in verse 13, and I'm, I'm excited to get to it and look at it again. But when we think about this, Paul is saying, hey, you people, the people, the church, don't be deceived. Don't get caught into the philosophies of the day and the, that, that are with empty deceit in, a, in the human traditions. Specifically for them, it was, they're saying, well, is Jesus really God? Why do you think he has spent so much time on this topic in this book already? In chapter 1, we looked at this, the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Here Paul says, look at what he says in verse 9, For in Christ, so in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
Here's what that means. It means that God is not 50% God, like half God, half man. Like he's part God and part man. No, he is fully God and he's fully man. 100% God, 100% man. It happens in the incarnation. Paul's saying, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Because again, this was an issue. Think about our culture. Culture's the same way. They liked the thought that Jesus was caring, loving, kind, compassionate, gracious, tender, loving. We like those aspects of him too, but we don't love when, he, when we read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, when you read the Sermon on the Mount and the hard sayings of Jesus, when he's his teaching. We like parts of him. Uh, I think this was mentioned on Sunday, the way I've heard, on Thursday in our Bible study from someone. Um, and I think this is the tendency for a lot of people is when we treat the Bible this way, it's like, it's like cafeteria. I mean, I don't know, how many of you like a cafeteria? Some of you are like, if, if Shelby and Clint were here, they'd be like, absolutely not. We hate, um, what is that one called again? Jack's, something Jack's, Papa Jack's, right? Uh, Papa Jack's, or if you go to uh, a cafeteria kind of idea or this buffet, right? It's like, uh, man, I think I'll have some chicken tenders or I'll have, uh, I'll have this steak or something. If you're willing to try steak that's on a buffet, I don't know. To be a little dicey, maybe, but, um, but you know, you go, go with like some barbecue here, or I want to have a salad here, I'm going to have this, or you go to the dessert table, if, like, if you're like Levi and my family, and you're like, oh my word, what am I going to do here? I'll take this and this, maybe not all of it, but I'll take some of it that I like. And see, I think so many people who claim to be a follower of Jesus treat God that way, treat the Bible that way. It's like a cafeteria Christianity. I'll take this, but I don't think I want that because I don't like that aspect, so I'll take this. And they pull, pick and choose what they want. And I think that's what we do with God. We, choo- we choose the parts we like with God, but we don't choose the parts where, God, where, where God's kind of punching us in the face a little bit, waking us up with our sin and our pride. You see, we need to resist the teachings that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus. This is such an important reminder. But listen, here's the reality. You will not be able to resist the teachings that are contrary to the gospel if you're not already doing step one. If you're not already developing by spending time with God, you have to spend time with Him. You establish yourself. You can't just establish yourself without being with Him. How are you going to establish yourself in Christ if you're not with Christ? You see, that starts. It starts with the knowledge of Scripture, studying God's Word, getting to know His heart. And then you're able to resist the teachings that are contrary because you would be able to know. I've heard it said this way. My brother worked for Brinks. Um, my brother's worked a thousand jobs when he was in high school and college and stuff, but one of them was Brinks, and they would count money and deal with all this cash and everything like that, and you've probably heard this before, but like when someone's trying to figure out like what's counterfeit, what's counterfeit money or what's real money, they, you, you handle real money all the time so that when you feel counterfeit money, it's pretty obvious, uh, and it stands out, and that's the reality of the Christian. The Christian is, if they spend time in God's Word, studying it, re- applying it, when culture shifts and says, now this is what's right, and this is what's wrong, or this is now appropriate and not appropriate, you're able to discern through that and resist teachings that are contrary to Scripture. And the third step is this. This is such an important, this should be a lifetime spent for us, is this right here. Recognize your identity in Christ. It is learning and continuing to learn to recognize your personal identity in Christ. I want you to see this. If you have a Bible and if you have a pen, I would encourage you to, to, to circle uh, these phrases. Even We'll go back to verse 6 even. So here you'll see, so walk in Him. Just every time you see in Him, circle it or underline it, in Him. 
So, so walk in him, or Christ, rooted and built up, circle here, in him. Skip down to verse 9, for in him, so circle that, is the fullness of deity. Verse 10, uh, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule, rule and authority, in him, verse 11, circle it there. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised, notice this, with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. If you skip down into ver- the middle of verse 13, he's made alive, made alive together with him. And then look at the last line of verse 15. He says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them into open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, this is who these descriptions that we're getting ready to read are who you can be and who we are in Christ. In Christ. Look at verse, uh, starting in verse 11. It says this, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So in a sense, you die with him and you raise with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, notice this phrase, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let me just pause on that phrase right there. You see, God didn't just wipe away your debt by saying, all right, you're forgiven. Let me just just erase it, right? Like, your sin debt, you know, you've got this, this very large book that's being filled of all your debts. Every sin, all of your sin, and this debt book is just filled to the brim with your sin. God doesn't say like, okay, I forgive you, let me just throw in the trash. You're forgiven. He sets it aside, notice this, he sets it aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, salvation comes at no cost to you, but at great cost to Christ. It comes at no cost to you. It comes to, you get, you, get, you get to be set free. You actually, as you are in Him, as your identity is found in Christ, as you're being built up and established uh, and rooted in Him as you're in Christ, these things are true. I, I, this, this is so amazing, the thought that, listen to what he says. And you, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses. Notice this. How does a dead person get up? You think about it. How does a dead person get up? How does a dead person get in a coffin? They don't climb in it. They don't get in it. They, they're, they have, they're completely dead. They have to have outside people, or so, a source, move them around because they have no life in them. God is saying, that, that God's word is clear on this in Ephesians 2 as well, that when we are born into sin, when we come to this world, we are dead in our sins. Meaning, you can't get up. 
on your own. You don't get up on your own. You can't go, man, like, let me clean myself off a little bit. Let me, let me take some fresh air. No, you're dead. In a sinful way, you are completely entrapped, enslaved in your sin, dead in your trespasses that he severs. But this, in the circumcision of your foot. But notice this, who makes you alive? Not by good works, not by cleaning yourself off and being like, God, now is this acceptable? Am I dressed up enough for you? Am I cle- have I cleaned up my attitude better? Am I, are my thoughts more pure? Are you now going to accept me? No, what has happened? The, the dead person, the dead person spiritually, dead in their trespasses, is what? Is made alive by who? God made alive. But how does he do this? Together with him in Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Oh, if you could just spend a lifetime learning to recognize who you are in Christ and let that change how you live for him. See, Austin, and it goes back to last week too, but Austin mentioned this on Thursday. What would it look like if the, at the, this same time next year, if we said we're all in with Christ, if we understood who our identity is in Christ, if we were establishing ourselves in Christ as, as we are being rooted in Him and being built up in Him and living with a, a gratitude, with a, a sincere gratitude, overflowing with thanksgiving, what would the, the result of that in just one year look like for each of us if we just fully grasped the thought that, I am in Christ as a follower of Jesus. How would that change my week? How would that change how I would parent? How would that change how I viewed my job? How would it change my view of my neighbors and the place that God, and the community God has placed me in? How would that change how I, the, the, how I go about my day? How would that change me? It should change every aspect of us because when you're in with Christ, you're all in with him. Notice what he says, going back to verse 12, having been buried with him, you die the death that you you should have died. You die when he died. That's actually great news because in his death, we can identify with his death. And then he says this, here's the even greater part. When we're dying with him, we also get to raise with him. He says it here, in which you were also raised, in verse 12, with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. It is always a faith. It is faith in Christ. Man, if I could help you understand the beauty of this passage, that God is a gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for you, that by his grace he would say, take a dead sinner like myself, and make me alive. Open my eyes to my need of the gospel, my need of salvation, and that he would actually cancel my sin debt. You might be thinking, man, I don't, are you sure? My, my debt is pretty big. I've, I've, ac- I've accomplished a lot of bad things in this short amount of time in my life. The Bible tells us that he takes the grossest sin. He takes someone like Paul, who writes this letter. Paul, who's a persecutor of Christians. He takes the, the thief that's sitting, or not sitting, who's, who's nailed to a cross or at least tied to a cross next to him. And that person, even on their deathbed, confesses Jesus as Lord. And Jesus tells him, 
Today you'll be with me in paradise. To your deathbed, to some early age where you recognize your need for sin and salvation, God is quick to forgive and to cancel your debt, not because of you, not because of anything that you can do and anything that you have done, all because of what Christ has done. I want you to see this book is filled with this is who Jesus is, and it is all about him. That's why we title this series, Jesus Above All. It's a, he's above everything. We see it from the moment this book is written all the way through it, from chapter 1 all the way to now where we are here at the end of, in the middle of chapter 2. It is all of Christ. And listen, I want to challenge you. I want to end with this. I want to challenge you. This week, start small. Start really small. You're like, all right, how can I be more established? How can I be, start to be built up? I mean, one step is doing exactly what you're doing, sitting under the teaching of God's Word. That is a step. God uses that as a tool to encourage us, to challenge us, to help us understand and apply Scripture to our life. But here's one small step I want to I ask you. I want to give you something simple. I want to treat it real simple this week. I want you to encourage you. Try to read Scripture. Maybe read about a chapter a day. But here's the prayer I want you to pray with that. I want you, I want you to pray something very simple, very simple. God, help me to do what your Word says today. Help me to put it into practice today. So as I read your scriptures and you tell me, listen, I, I need to be rooted and established. All right, well, what am I going to do to apply that to my life this week? How can I be more rooted? Well, if we're saying you get rooted by being connected to Christ, how should I do that this week? I do it through, let me spend a few minutes of my day, each day, reading some scripture. You might be like, Eric, but I don't understand it. Start small, maybe read a paragraph. A lot of our versions will have it in paragraph form where you maybe start with a paragraph. Read that several times. Maybe read one chapter and you're like, I don't even know what I read. Read it again the next day and the next day. God's word is powerful. The Bible tells us, it says this about itself. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces. And that is my prayer that God's word would pierce my heart and lead me to obey his word. It is great if we study this and we look at it but if we don't do anything with it, it's kind of pointless. James puts it this way. It's like a mirror. If we come to God's word and it's like a mirror and it's showing me, man, like I look at this mirror, I'm like, oh, that's, that's rough here. I need to fix this area of my life. It reveals something to it. Here's how James says that. It's like a mirror and it's like a person who looks at the, the law of God or looks at the word of God and they're like, oh, man, that, that's something I need to fix. And they leave away. They leave and go unchanged. It's like you notice your hair is a mess and you're like, eh, whatever. You go about your day, right? As God's word is, as we read it, and it reveals something to us. It only makes a difference is when we apply it to our lives. And I want to encourage you, apply God's word this week to your life. Maybe it's things like this passage where you're like, man, this is who I am in Christ. This is who I was, but who I am. Okay, what, what do I need to do this week that, that shapes me, that helps me, that get, gives me a better attitude with coworkers and people that I work, or how I'm going to treat my kids, or how I'm going to interact with um, other people or non-believers. Maybe there's someone I need to start praying for. You start, God just starts putting these things on your heart. Listen and obey. Listen to God's word and obey it. All right, I want to encourage you with that um, this week. But these are just three simple steps. Three simple steps uh, as, a, as a follower of Jesus is to develop that relationship. Continue to develop it. Don't stay sa stagnant. Grow. Resist. As you're growing, resist false teaching as those things come up. And then finally, recognize, notice who you are in Scripture, in Christ. 
All right, let me pray. Father, we love you. Uh, We just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us. Uh, Thank you for um, just who you are. Thank you for Christ. And you're all over scripture. But here you're so prominent and so visible to us. God, help us to walk in Christ, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. God, maybe this week we're struggling with a thankful heart. God, help us to be grateful, thankful for who you are, what you have done for us. Thank you for this gospel, this good news. Thank you for what Christ has done. Help us never to wander away from it. Help us not to veer off and be deceived and ta- uh, taken captive by the philosophy and empty deceit um, and the elemental spirits of the world. Anything that's not according to Christ, God, help us to measure everything by your word. Father, help us to live in light of this truth that who we are in Christ should change how we live. But God, as we're rooted and established, there's going to be storms, trials um, that come our way. God, I'm so thankful for your care, your love, how you make and show yourself strong, how you help us to endure the storm. And the time we develop our relationship with you, that time helps us when the storm does come. God, you're a good God, kind and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Help us to realize that, believe it, and live in light of that truth. Help us to apply your word to our lives this week. Live in light of who we are in Christ. So we thank you for this. We thank you for your word. Help us to live according to it. God, not be pulled away by the things of this world, but we see you as Lord and bow our knee to you as Lord. And we ask this in your son's name.